0: The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSradio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you.
1: Your host, J. Paul Newman of the monthly District Attorney Show, will now take you on a journey to explore recent Rutherford County court cases, cold cases, and more.
2: We welcome everyone to the program. My name is J. Paul Newman. My co hosts today are Rutherford County District Attorney General Jennings Jones and Rutherford County Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. We thank WGNS for providing the airtime, and we also thank our producer Scott Walker most of all. We thank you for listening. In our Inside the Court segment, Rutherford County District Attorney General Jennings Jones will tell us all about recent and upcoming grand jury, general sessions, and circuit court activity. Then, Rutherford County Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch will discuss an area of the law that dramatically impacts on our community in our ever popular what's the law segment and we will begin our broadcast with a special segment a segment that is devoted to promoting safer police citizen interaction my guest in that segment will be sergeant sean martin from the murfreesboro police department the viewpoints and opinions expressed on this broadcast are the viewpoints and opinions of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints and opinions of this show, its host, or the management of this station. You are listening to WGNS. Don't throw away
3: cabinets, furniture, and appliances. Donate it to the Habitat Restore. We have had increase in costs for lumber and building materials, so our houses now cost about a hundred and twenty thousand. You make the dream of homeownership come true by shopping at the Habitat Restore. And we're so proud of our homeowners. The Habitat Restore, eight fifty Dr. Martin Luther
4: King Jr. Boulevard.
3: Shopping at the Restore, yeah.
4: Garden Patch Thrift Shop on Spring Street, across from the tall NHC building, is an upscale boutique thrift shop. Proceeds from sales benefit Greenhouse Ministries, a faith-based nonprofit
0: serving the underserved here in Murfreesboro. The Garden Patch offers competitive prices on name-brand clothing, furniture, large appliances, household items, toys, and more.
3: Shopping at the Garden Patch helps Greenhouse Ministries inspire, give hope, and change lives. The Garden Patch Thrift Shop on Spring Street in downtown Murfreesboro.
0: If you want to talk sports, you want to talk local. You want to talk with Monty Hill Jr. and Tim Tackett. It's all sports talk. Weekdays at 5 on
1: WGNS. Broadcasting from the Middle Tennessee Electric Studios, serving members with more than electricity, their community outreach team works with schools, parents, and students to provide engaging and unique learning experiences. MTE, serving to make life better since
4: 1936.
2: Sergeant Martin, before we delve into our topic of how to make police-citizen interactions safer, I would like for you to introduce yourself to our listening audience.
4: Sure, Jay Paul. Thank you for having me on today. A little bit about me. I am a transplant from Michigan. I moved here in 1998. I went to Riverdale High School. I graduated from there. I attended MTSU for a short stint and realized that at that time in my life, education was just not my priority. So I started looking for jobs where I could make a difference. I put my application in with the Murfreesboro Police Department for dispatcher and police officer at the same time. I got a call back and told I could apply for one position. I applied for the dispatcher position and was hired i have been afforded so many great opportunities i was afforded the opportunity to move to patrol in 2009 i've served as a field training officer and now i'm a sergeant within the uniform division i was earlier and now i'm actually over the school resource officers with another co-sergeant of mine i have a vast experience with law enforcement to include verbal de-escalation which i think is very important mental health and many other topics
2: Police-citizen interaction involves not only the police, but also the citizen. And what I would like to discuss with you is how the police officer and the citizen can help make those interactions safer for everyone. Let's first talk about the citizen in the interaction process. And for the purpose of our discussion, let's assume that the citizen has been stopped by the police for a traffic offense. Talk through us the do's and don'ts for the citizen.
4: I think the first thing that I would really like to talk about before I answer the question about the do's and don'ts is the officer's mindset. Officers operate in a world of the unknown. When they're on duty, their sense of hypervigilance is elevated. From the first day of the academy training through an entire career of police work, officers must learn to perceive the world as a potentially hazardous environment in order to survive the streets. Um, Their perpetual set of elevated alertness of the surrounding, which is required of law enforcement officers for survival, in the police culture, is referred to as officer safety, a more accurate interpretation or term is hypervigilance. And hypervigilance is defined as the necessary manner of viewing the world from a threat-based perspective. They have to have a mindset to see the events unfolding as potentially hazardous. So they're always in an elevated state. And that information that I just read to you comes from Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement, which is written by Dr. Kevin Gilmartin. So to answer the questions about the do's and the don'ts, this is my advice, is the best approach is to remain in the vehicle. That is just safety for everybody involved. You never know where you're going to be stopped. It might be a busy road. It might not be a well-lit road. So by staying in the vehicle, it ensures the safety for everybody. The other things that I would say is if you have dark tint or you do have tint, even if it's not super dark, is roll those windows down so the officers can see inside and see who's in there. Because a lot of times when you make an approach, you don't know who's in the back seat. So by rolling those windows down, that allows officers to say, okay, there's only one person in the vehicle. Uh, the other things that I would suggest are keep your hands readily visible. This will allow the officer to see your hands and not making any furative movements in the car I know a lot of times when we get stopped, we're looking for certain like pieces of information, like insurance card, registration. My advice would be just wait till the officer gets there. They introduce themselves. And then when they ask for the requested information, just kind of forecast and say, is it okay if I reach in my glove box so that I can get my registration and my insurance? That way, the officer can kind of see where your movements are.
2: Let me ask you a few questions from the citizen's standpoint. Let's say that you're a woman, it's dark, and you don't think it's a safe place for you to pull over when the police hit the blue lights. What could you do that would be safer if there is a safer way of pulling over or maybe finding another location, but at the same time signaling to the officer that you're not trying
4: to flee? So what I would suggest that the citizen or whoever's driving, whether it be female, male, if they are uncomfortable and they don't think that it's the police or they have just gut feeling that it's not right, what they can do is to signify to a police officer that they have been seen is to turn their hazards on. And if they don't feel like it is a police officer, they can always call 911 and they can say, "Hey, there's an officer behind me. I'm not sure. I'm in a not, in a well lit area. What can I do?" And then the dispatcher can actually let that officer know if they see you, but they're just not sure that you know you're an actual cop. And then they can verify that information. It also will allow that officer to follow that person into a more well lit area, hopefully to make all parties involved more comfortable.
2: And once the police officer has the citizen stopped, should the citizen keep the car running or should he turn the ignition off?
4: I think in most situations, it's okay to keep the car running as long as the vehicle's in park. That would be my only advice is just make sure that vehicle's in park and that your hands are visible. And what I always tell people is just make your hands visible and keep them on the steering wheel for us. And
2: should the citizen reach into a coat pocket to get his license while the officer is
4: approaching or should he wait? I would tell the citizen to wait because that can be seen as an aggressive maneuver from that citizen. I know they may not mean any harm. They're just trying to reach for that documents like we just discussed earlier. But just wait till the officer gets there and then starts to request the required information. And then the officer can see the hands and the movements and all that.
2: What if the citizen has a weapon either on him or in the car? What should he do to inform the officer?
4: So, of course, Tennessee, just recently, they have allowed uh, motorist citizens to drive with being armed, and they're not required to have a handgun carry permit. So, in that case, what I would suggest to citizens and listeners is, if you're armed and the officer makes his approach or her approach, just let them know right off the bat, I do have a weapon in the vehicle, and I'm not going to reach for it, but this is where it's located. I am carrying If they have a handgun carry permit, please present that with their license to the officer, and this will confirm that they do have a handgun carry permit. And
2: let's say that you're a citizen and you have passengers in your car. What should those passengers do?
4: Same advice as the driver. I wouldn't make any furtive movements or any rash movements. That's going to put the officer on edge. That is going to bring their elevated alertness up higher, and they're going to think, why are these movements being made?
2: And if you believe that the officer did not interact with you properly, what steps should you take and when should you take those steps?
4: It depends on the situation. So if we're kind of elevated and we're a little bit upset because we've been stopped by the police for speeding or seatbelt, we might disagree with that stop and be angry and have a little bit of an attitude. And it is up to the officer to rise to the professional level and have that professional level established. If the person that is pulled over feels like they were treated in a Non-professional manner, then there are steps that the citizens can take. The first thing they can do is they can call our dispatch center and what they typically will do is they will page a sergeant that is on that patrol shift and the sergeant will try to handle it at that level and try to assure the citizen and talk to the officer and talk about what the issue was and try to resolve it that way. There is a more formal process. If they wish to go about it that way, they can always contact our Office of Professional Responsibility, and then they would have to file a formal complaint with that section of our police department.
2: Are most, if not all, of the traffic stops, especially in our community, are they videotaped, recorded, and preserved?
4: so they are they have been since i've been with the police department and probably since the 90s i believe that's when the actual body cam or not body cameras but video cameras were installed with the wireless recorders And we are now in the process of transitioning our department to body worn cameras. So body cams are being instituted and being rolled out now. So all stops are recorded from start to finish.
2: And let's say that you believe that you're not guilty of the traffic offense and you want to explain how and when should that be done.
4: If you disagree with the citation, you can always appear in court, which is city court. It's located at City Hall on the second floor. You will need to call city court and let them know that you want to plead not guilty and what they will do is they will notify the officer that you intend on pleading not guilty and then they will have an officer there present for a trial at that point both sides can be heard and then at that point that's when the judge will make the determination whether guilty or not guilty so there is a process where if the motorist feels hey i didn't commit this crime i was wearing my seatbelt, i wasn't speeding they can always have their side heard but i always give this piece of advice Let's not have court on the roadside because it's so dangerous. Let's go to court. We'll discuss it in court and then we'll have a neutral party who is the judge and he'll make the determination.
2: Now let's talk about the police officer in the police citizen interaction process. In our traffic stop situation, does the nature of the stop have anything to do with how the officer approaches the citizen?
4: So my answer would be yes. And the reason being is you've got two types of stops. We talked earlier about you have seatbelt defenses, speeding violations, maybe light law violations where a taillight light is out. Those are all misdemeanor stops. Is there a potential hazard there for the officer? Yes. But you also have to look at the other side of it, and that is a felony stop or a high-risk stop. Those are what those are referred to as. There's a little bit more to it than just a minor traffic offense. There are several examples that I would like to give stolen vehicles. So if a vehicle is reported stolen, the officers have to take a different approach. Every traffic stop is dangerous, but these types of stops are more dangerous to the possibility of the occupants being armed, violent, or both to the officers. That is why the officers have to take that approach.
2: And on a previous show, you discussed verbal de-escalation. Tell us now, what is verbal de-escalation?
4: Verbal de-escalation really is is conflict in life is inevitable. We're going to hit it at any turn in life. It happens more in law enforcement than it does probably in actual real life. But there's conflict in every day. And it doesn't really matter what we do, but there's always going to be some type of disagreement or conflict and it's up to law enforcement specifying on on this type of topic that we're talking about is they're going to run into a lot of conflict because their job is conflict resolution in, in some parts so their job is to use their verbal deflection skills and try to deflect that verbal abuse that may be coming at them because officers respond when people are in their worst moments and they're going to be angry. They're going to be upset and it is up to the officers to rise to a certain level of professionalism and exhibit that and deflect the abuse because if we look at it in an overall view, really their anger, their upset about not the law enforcement being there but just about the situation so we have to kind of deflect that abuse that's coming towards us
2: and on a routine traffic stop what do you believe is the first thing an officer should say to the citizen and why
4: i think the very first thing when i was a traffic officer i would say personally is i'm sergeant martin with the murphy school police department the reason i've stopped you is because you weren't wearing your seatbelt. is there any reason that you wouldn't be wearing your seatbelt today does two things it takes the question of why the citizen has been stopped it also lets the person that you stopped or the citizen that you stopped give a little bit of an explanation of why especially speeding are you running late for work are you trying to get somewhere it's all about having a conversation with the motorist yes they committed a violation and it does our job to ensure their safety and that's why they've been stopped but i think we also have to listen to them and find out You know, why are you not wearing your seatbelt? Are you late for work? Is that why you're speeding? So it gives that person a chance to explain themselves.
2: One of the things that I've noticed, because I've been pulled over once or twice, is one is the officer seem to always stand so that it's very uncomfortable for me to look over my shoulder and see him. He's not walking straight up to my window where I can talk to him face to face.
4: So that's an officer safety. It kind of goes back to our previous conversation about the potentially hazardous situations. That is something that officers are taught from the very beginning is to stand back behind that window So that they have that safety built in so if something happens, they can get to a a place of safety and, and react the way they need to.
2: In today's climate, we have many people asking for police reform, and we all benefit from better trained and better educated law enforcement officers. So how do we attract better people to enter law enforcement and how do we better train them?
4: So I think the most important thing is to remember is law enforcement is a very noble profession. It allows you to give back to your community. If you have a servant's heart, it allows you to protect and serve your municipality, your sheriff's office, your state. If you're a state trooper, it allows you to enforce wherever you work. I think there's so many good benefits to come to law enforcement, you know, a lot of agencies are pushing out incentives such as take-home cars. So, you know, you get a car once you come off your probationary period or training period, you get a take-home car. A lot of agencies are pushing to four, 10-hour shifts. I will just say at Murphy's the training is phenomenal. The chief puts so much good training at our fingertips. You have to have that passion and drive to become a police officer. You have to have that servant's heart and want to help your community. You can't just do it for the paycheck, unfortunately. The pay and benefits are very good at some agencies, but it boils down to having that servant's heart and wanting to help people.
2: And talking about the training for the Murfreesboro Police specifically, are the Murfreesboro Police officers, are they trained in this verbal de-escalation? And are they trained also to deal with people who may have mental health issues?
4: So Murfreesboro Police Department has taken a very proactive approach. We have had verbal de-escalation in place since 2017 and it is trained every year. The governor, Governor Lee, has actually mandated that officers receive verbal de-escalation training each year, and that started last year. We also require our officers to have mental health training. In 2010, Chief Bowen and several other command staff members went to Memphis and they received the crisis intervention training. So it's CIT for short. So a percentage of our officers are also CIT trained. And on top of all of that, in 2017, Chief Bowen actually wanted us to continue to teach mental health first aid, which is another program. So we got trained in mental health first aid as well. So what that means to the audience and listeners is 80% of our staff, including our new hires, when they come on board, they receive what's called mental health first aid training. And what that allows them to do is look for signs and symptoms that they may see in the street. We also have a percentage, which is 10% of our staff, they're CIT trained. Now that is a voluntary program. We allow our officers to sign up for it. And then if they're approved to go through the training, then they go through the training. So Murfreesboro takes a very proactive approach on our mental health training our officers in verbal de-escalation, and just recently, last year, we brought in co-responders, and a co-responder is someone that has, they're a clinician, they have a master's degree, and they come in and they're able to assess folks that might be in mental health crisis, so I'm so proud to work for Murfreesboro Police Department and the co-responder program, and all the mental health services that we offer are outstanding.
2: My special guest today has been Sergeant Sean Martin from the Murfreesboro Police Department, and we have been discussing how we can make police-citizen interaction safer for both the citizen and the police officer. Sergeant Martin, do you have any parting comments?
4: I would just like to take this time to thank you, Jay paul for allowing me to come on and talk about this. This is a passion of mine. Please, please just... Follow what the officers are telling you to do, and I think everything will turn out to be okay. I appreciate your time today and listening to me on this important topic.
2: Sergeant Martin, I want to thank you and the Murfreesboro Police Department for the tremendous public service that the Murfreesboro Police Department provides to the citizens of our community. And thank you for taking the time to be here today. I hope that our discussion helps to make police-citizen interactions safer for everyone. So I thank you again.
4: Thank you.
0: This is Good Neighbor Events with Bart Walker. Brought to you by AmeriCare Pest Control and the law offices of John Day.
5: I've got pests, bees buzzing, rodents running all through my house. Ants chewing wood, and look, there's a mouse. I'm overrun with
4: pests, pests, but you're going to be sure, safe and secure. It's the last rites for those pests. Call the best of the best to get rid of your
5: pests. 893-7111. AmeriCare Services Incorporated. Call us today. 893-7111.
3: WGNS reminds you it's so important to shop local. Now let's see what's happening locally. Into the Woods wraps up this weekend at the Art Center of Cannon County in neighboring Woodbury. And the Red Cross is having blood drives throughout the week. You know they're critically low on blood. And your gift of life certainly makes the difference. Phone the Red Cross at one eight hundred Red Cross. And find the donation date that fits your schedule. The Murfreesboro Red Cross is at 501 Memorial Boulevard. Let's talk some local history this Saturday morning. That'll be from 9 until noon over at the old one-room Ransom Schoolhouse. And it's the home of the Rutherford County Historical Society. They'll be there to lead the discussion, and you'll find out much about this community It's all free this Saturday from 9 until noon at the old one-room Ransom Schoolhouse, 717 North Academy Street. For more local events, check our website, wgnsradio.com. Those are WGNS Good Neighbor Events.
1: Join me, America's Career Coach, Ken Coleman, weekdays live at noon here on News Radio WGNS for practical advice to help you discover the work you were born to do.
0: This is Inside the Courts. A look at this month's trials, pleas, and grand jury action. Inside the Courts is presented as a courtesy of the Rutherford County Clerk's Office.
1: Good morning, everyone. This is your District Attorney General, Jennings Jones, and today I will be your tour guide. Through this episode of Inside the Courts, we begin this segment by stating that none of the defendants named in upcoming trials or hearings have been convicted, and, of course, they are presumed by our law to be innocent. With that as a prelude, we will now go inside the courts. On October the 6th of last year, officers with the Laverne Police Department were dispatched to a residence on Almondwood Place in Laverne, Tennessee. In response to a shooting that led to the death of the homeowner, Miss Robin Taylor, Detective Tanner Noakes has been assigned as the lead investigator in this case. Miss Taylor's sister, Candace Davis, was on scene when officers arrived and initially stated that an unknown subject shot her sister and ran away. Miss Davis later changed her story and claimed her sister attacked her and she shot Miss Taylor in self defense. At the conclusion of Detective Noakes' investigation and in light of the evidence collected on scene, it was determined that Miss Davis was not justified in shooting Miss Taylor. As a result, Miss Candace Davis has been charged with second degree murder. A, prelim- <clears throat> a preliminary hearing was held in the Rutherford County General Sessions Court on november the fourth of this past year, and at the conclusion of this hearing, the court determined that probable cause existed to bind the matter over to the Rutherford County Grand Jury. The defendant is represented by counsel, Mr. Thompson Kirkpatrick, while the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On July 6th of 2022, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office responded to a residence on Panther Creek Road in response to a shooting. After receiving a 911 call, deputies discovered the body of Ms. Clarence Roden, who had been shot multiple times. Witnesses at the scene identified Mr. Jeffrey Burris as the shooter. Mr. Burris was located and found to be in possession of a firearm. He was taken into custody and interviewed by Detective Kyle Narod, who has been assigned as the lead investigator in this case. Upon the conclusion of the investigation, Mr. Burris was charged with first-degree murder of Clarence Rowden. On December the 8th of last year, Mr. Burris appeared in the General Sessions Court of Rutherford County and bound his case over to the grand jury. Mr. Mr. Burris is represented by Murfreesboro Attorney Josh Crane, while the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On August 30th, 2022, officers with the Smyrna Police Department responded to a shooting at a gas station on Sam Ridley Parkway. Mr. Nicholas Patterson, who had been working that night, had been shot during the course of an attempted robbery. Mr. Patterson later died as a result of his injuries. Surveillance video showed an armed subject enter the store, point his firearm at Mr. Patterson, fire at least one shot into the ceiling of the store, and then shoot Mr. Patterson before running out of the store. Detective Steve Hanna with the Smyrna Police Department has been assigned as the lead investigator in this case. As a result of two other robberies, one in Brentwood and one in Nashville, Mr. Keanthony Williams was identified as a suspect. Upon execution of a search warrant, Mr. Williams was taken into custody and found to be in possession of a firearm. After being interviewed by law enforcement, Mr. Williams was charged with the first-degree murder of Mr. Nicholas Patterson. Mr. Williams is being held at the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center and awaits a mental health evaluation. Mr. Williams is represented by counsel, Mr. Ben Wetzel. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney, Trevor Lynch. On September 27th of 2021, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department responded to a residence on Bivens Hill Road in reference to a shooting. Once on scene, deputies located Miss Tony Odom, who was the victim of a gunshot wound and subsequently died from her injuries. Detective Ty Downing with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department has been assigned as the lead investigator. After interviewing witnesses and reviewing physical evidence at the scene, Detective Downing identified Irwin Odom, the victim's husband, as the suspect. At the conclusion of the investigation, Mr. Odom was charged with first-degree murder. Mr. Odom is represented by counsel, Mr. Josh Crane, while the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Sarah Davis. On November the 7th, 2022, Mr. Odom waived his right to a preliminary hearing and bound his case over for presentment to a Rutherford County Grand Jury. On April 24th, 2021, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department heard shots fired and responded to 1621 Middle Tennessee Boulevard. Officers found Mr. Shakur Ali, who had been shot and later died from his injuries. Apollo Cantrell was identified as the shooter and fled the state. Detective Richard Presley with the Murfreesboro Police Department has been assigned as the lead investigator in this case. Through cooperation with the state of Iowa, Mr. Cantrell was apprehended. He is presently incarcerated at the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center on charges of second-degree murder and possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. He is represented by Murfreesboro attorney Mr. Will Fraley. A preliminary hearing was held on February the 7th of this past year, and the General Sessions Court found probable cause to bind this case over to the Rutherford County Grand Jury. On October 24th of 2020, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting that occurred at the intersection of North Tennessee Boulevard and Stonewall Boulevard. Officers discovered the body of Mr. Blake Bolton, who was the victim of two gunshot wounds. Albert Miles, with the Murfreesboro Police Department, has been assigned as the lead investigator in this case. At the conclusion of Detective Miles' investigation, Mr. Cody Gilliam was charged with the first-degree murder of Mr. Bolton. A Rutherford County grand jury indicted Mr. Gilliam for first-degree murder, especially aggravated robbery, burglary to an automobile, possession of meth with the intent to use, or pardon me, to distribute, employment of a weapon during the commission of a dangerous felony, and conspiracy to the above. Mr. Gilliam is represented by counsel, Mr. Brennan Foy, while the state is represented by Mr. Trevor Lynch. The next scheduled court date for this case is March the 7th of this year. On April the 9th of 2020, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a residence on North Rutherford Boulevard in response to a shooting resulting in the death of Mr. Stephen Lopez, Jr., Lead investigator, Detective Richard Presley, has charged Mr. James Evans III with the second-degree murder of Mr. Lopez, Jr. Mr. Evans waived his right to a preliminary hearing and bound his case over to the grand jury. In March of 21, a grand jury returned a true bill against Mr. Evans. Mr. Evans is represented by Murfreesboro attorney Mr. Jack Mitchell, while the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. The next court date for this case... Is scheduled for April 26th of this year. On September the 18th of 2019, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting on Journey Drive. Officers discovered Marquis Turner had been shot in the sidewalk after leaving an event at the Elks Lodge and later died from his injuries. Detective Cody Thomas with the Murfreesboro Police Department was assigned as lead investigator and developed Khalil Smith as a suspect. Upon conclusion of the detective's investigation, Mr. Smith was charged with second-degree murder and possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. Khalil Smith is presently incarcerated at the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center. In August of last year, a Rutherford County grand jury indicted Mr. Smith for second-degree murder, possession of a firearm by a convicted felon, and employing a firearm during the commission of a dangerous felony. Mr. Smith's next court date is set for March the 9th of this year in Rutherford, pardon me, in the circuit courts of Rutherford County. Mr. Smith is represented by counsel Mr. Stephen Perkins, while the state is represented by Mr. Trevor Lynch. On May 16th of 2017, the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to reports of multiple gunshots in the area of Gateway Apartments. Witnesses reported seeing a black male fleeing the area on foot. Additionally, a gunshot wound, pardon me, a gunshot victim, Kendrick Love was located in the front of one of the apartment buildings. Mr. Love later died from the injuries he sustained. Witnesses on the scene established that the victim went to meet an individual for the purpose of selling marijuana. Additional witnesses identified the individual as Tyshawn Patterson who matched the description of the male seen running on foot just after the shooting. Detective Doug Arrington with the Murfreesboro Police Department was assigned as the lead investigator in this case and at the conclusion of the detective's investigation, it was determined that Mr. Patterson went to the alleged marijuana deal armed with a firearm and with the intent to rob the victim. Mr. Patterson has been charged with first-degree murder and attempted aggravated robbery. Mr. Patterson was represented by counsel, Mr. Kyle Parks, and the state by Assistant District Attorney, Trevor Lynch. A trial was held on February 22nd through the 25th, and Mr. Patterson was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. On January 30th of 2023, Mr. Patterson was sentenced to 25 years for second-degree murder, 12 years for robbery in concert with two or more, four years for the facilitation to aggravated robbery, and two years for conspiracy to facilitation to aggravated robbery. Since Master, Since Mr. Patterson was a juvenile at the time that he committed these crimes, he will be eligible for parole by state law after service of between 25 and 36 years. On August the 7th of 2014 the Smyrna Police Department responded to reports of multiple gunshots at a residence on Kings Road. Witnesses reported seeing a black male fleeing the area in a champagne-colored Chevy Malibu. The gunshot victim Danny Wright was located in the driveway of the residence and later died from his injuries. With no additional information, this case went cold until mid 2019, when a witness came forward with information identifying Enrique Dane DeCourcy as the shooter. The investigation then revealed that Mr. Wright had previously worked on Mr. DeCourcy's vehicle, and Mr. DeCourcy was not happy with the work performed, and believed Mr. Wright had stolen approximately $2,500 by not completing certain repairs. Search warrants were obtained and executed on Mr. DeCourcy's home and storage unit. Ammunition for a 357 semi-automatic pistol was discovered at both locations, and a partially disassembled 357 Glock semi-automatic handgun was located at the storage facility. The Tennessee Bureau of Investigation confirmed that based on the cartridge cases and the bullet recovered from Mr. Wright, a 357 Glock semi-automatic handgun was used to kill Mr. Wright. Mr. DeCourcy was arrested, but by law was allowed to make bond through the court system. In 2021, Mr. DeCourcy found the witness and killed him in Mayfield, Kentucky. Mr. DeCourcy was charged with first-degree murder by the Kentucky State Police. On February 1st of 2023, Mr. DeCourcy entered a plea to the second-degree murder of Danny Wright and received a 25-year sentence to serve at 100%. On February 2nd of this year, Mr. DeCourcy appeared before a Graves County, Kentucky court and entered a plea to the first-degree murder of the witness and received a life sentence. Mr. DeCourcy awaits sentencing in April to determine if the sentences will be concurrent or consecutive. On the 26th of June, 2019, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department responded to a residence on Walnut Grove. Mr. Terry Barber was found deceased on the floor with his hands and feet bound together. Lead investigator, Detective Steve Brown, has charged three individuals, Devin Gailey, Brent Ross, and Vernice Ferrer, with first-degree murder, especially aggravated kidnapping, aggravated robbery, aggravated burglary, and fraudulent use of a debit card. Following a preliminary hearing in the General Sessions Court, the cases were bound over to the grand jury. In June of 2020, a grand jury returned a true bill against all three defendants. Devin Gailey was represented by counsel Luke Evans. On January 20th of 2022, Mr. Gailey entered a plea of guilty to felony murder and especially aggravated kidnapping and received a life sentence with the possibility of parole and a concurrent 25-year sentence. On March 24th of 2022, Vernice Fair was found guilty by a jury of her peers of first degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. On September the 8th of 2022, Ms. Fair was sentenced to a concurrent 25 years in connection with the aggravated robbery, aggravated kidnapping, and aggravated burglary of Mr. Barber. Brent Ross was represented by counsel Michael Jones. A trial was scheduled for January 23rd of this year. Prior to trial, Mr. Ross entered a plea of guilty to first-degree murder, especially aggravated kidnapping, and aggravated robbery. Mr. Ross received a life sentence for first-degree murder and 25 years at 100% for especially aggravated kidnapping and aggravated robbery. He will not be eligible for parole consideration until such time as he has served 51 calendar years. I represented the state in this matter, assisted by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On June 8, 2020, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department responded to a shooting on Summertime Drive. While en route, deputies observed a vehicle matching the description of the suspect fleeing the vehicle, pardon me, fleeing the area. <laughs> a traffic stop was conducted and deputies took a driver and Yo Sir Fumfan into custody. Deputies observed and recovered an object, later identified as a firearm, that had been thrown from the vehicle. At the scene of the shooting, deputies discovered the body of Mr. Thien Nguyen sitting in the driver's seat of his vehicle. Mr. Nguyen had a single gunshot wound to the head. Detective Sergeant Ty Downing has been assigned as lead investigator, and after interviewing witnesses, collecting physical evidence, and execution of search warrants on electronic devices, Yosem Sir Pham Pham was charged with first-degree murder, attempted especially aggravated robbery, tampering with evidence, and employing a weapon during the commission of an offense. The defendant is represented by Murfreesboro attorney Mr. Will Fraley. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. This matter is currently set for trial March 20th through the 24th of this year. On April the 30th of 2018, the Laverne Police Department responded to George Buchanan Drive in response to a shooting. Emergency personnel transported the v- juvenile victim to Vanderbilt Hospital, where they later died from their injuries. The victim's younger siblings were present at the time of the shooting. Detective Hudgens was was assigned as lead investigator and assisted by Detective Steve Krotz. It was determined that the victim was attempting to buy a cell phone that had been advertised on social media. At the conclusion of the investigation, it was determined that Brian Berry and Marquise Hughes lured the victim to that location with the intent to rob the victim. During the course of the robbery, either Brian Berry or Mr. Hughes shot the victim. The defendants have been indicted for first-degree murder and aggravated robbery. Mr. Barry is represented by counsel Russ Nixon, the state by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. This matter is set for trial to begin on April the 17th of this year. And that will conclude today's look Inside the Courts.
5: This is Peter Demas inviting you to enjoy a meal with our family at Demas' Restaurant. With cold and flu season here, Nothing helps my family more than having the Demas' Baked Chicken and Rice Soup. It was a soup that was created by my grandmother. And we not only sell it by the cup, but we also sell it by the quart, by the half gallon, and by the gallon. So stop by anytime today and bring soup to your family that may be sick or a friend that's in sick. Or just to enjoy it just because it tastes so good. Demas's Restaurant.
2: They have wonderful people who work here. Carrie Dill, who was over an in Independent terry was out there with her two little girls picking up limbs and i thought that's not part of her job she's over but that's the way she is and that's what i found that so many of the people who work here they go above and beyond of what their job
4: is i'm terry deal call me for more information about adams place located at 1927 memorial boulevard across from walmart
0: what's the law Time now for an examination of the laws of Tennessee. This is not intended to be legal advice and is being presented solely for the informational benefit of our listening audience. You should always consult with an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice.
5: Good morning, listeners. Today I have a brief episode and I'd like to talk to you a little bit about Tennessee's sentencing laws. Now, in previous episodes, we have discussed Tennessee's laws in regards to first-degree murder and how a jury will make the determination as to the penalty for first-degree murder. But what about other convictions? Once a defendant is convicted, either found guilty by the judge or a jury, a sentencing hearing will be held. The judge will make the determination as to what the appropriate sentence will be. Today I am briefly going to discuss with you some of our principles in sentencing. I want to start by saying that this is just an overview of our sentencing laws, and to fully discuss the entirety of the laws would require a great deal more time. Having said that, how do our courts determine what a sentence should be? When they determine the sentence length, how do they determine if the sentence will be in confinement or some alternative? It is this latter part that I'm going to discuss with you. But first, what is the purpose of our sentencing statutes? Our statutes tell us that the purpose is to promote justice and in doing so our laws have adopted certain principles. Every defendant found guilty shall be punished by the imposition of a sentence justly deserved in relation to the seriousness of the offense. The more serious the offense, the more severe the punishment. Also, every defendant should be assured fair, and consistent treatment, eliminating unjustified disparity in sentencing and providing a fair sense of predictability of the criminal law and its sanctions. This does not mean cookie-cutter sentences or rubber-stamped outcomes, but a structured set and range predetermined based on the individual's past. Punishment shall be imposed to prevent crime and promote respect for the law by providing an effective general deterrent to those likely to violate criminal laws of this state by restraining defendants with a lengthy history of criminal conduct and encouraging effective rehabilitation for those defendants were reasonably feasible by promoting the use of alternative sentencing and correctional programs that elicit voluntary cooperation of defendants and encouraging restitution to victims where appropriate. Sentencing should exclude all considerations in respect to race, gender, creed, religion, national origin, and social status of individuals. Finally, a defendant who is an especially mitigated, mitigated or standard offender convicted of a Class C, D, or E felony should be considered a favorable candidate for alternative sentencing options in the absence of evidence to the contrary. However, a defendant's prior convictions shall be considered evidence to the contrary, and therefore a defendant who has been sentenced for a third or subsequent felony conviction involving separate periods of incarceration or supervision shall not be considered a favorable candidate for alternative sentencing. That's just a brief look at some of our sentencing principles that our courts consider when making their termination as to alternative sentencing. And that concludes this episode of What's the Law. If I could talk to the animals.
3: Hi, this is Amanda from Animal City, inviting your family to come in and do business with my family. As the weather gets worse and we spend more time indoors, give your pets additional enrichment. Here at Animal City, we carry a variety of toys and entertainment for pets of most kinds. When you stop in to see us at Animal City, make sure to explore all two stories of our wonderful pets and pet supplies. Animal City is at 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you.
2: we thank WGNS for providing the airtime. And we thank our producer, Scott Walker. And special thanks to Sergeant Sean Martin from the Murfreesboro Police Department. Most of all, we thank you for listening. Our next scheduled broadcast is Friday morning, March the 3rd at 8 10 a.m. on your Good Neighbor Station. We leave now by saying a safe community is the responsibility of each and every one of us. For my two co-hosts, Rutherford County District Attorney General Jennings Jones and Rutherford County Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch, this is J. Paul Newman bidding all of you a safe and blessed day.
0: The District Attorney's Office thanks you for listening to today's program. If you have any information regarding criminal activity in our community, please contact one of our law enforcement agencies. The information presented on today's show is solely for informational benefit and not intended to be legal advice. You should always consult an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Rutherford County's most trusted name in news. Talk Radio WGNS, Murfreesboro. Our programming have been pre-recorded. The Good Neighbor Network, WGNS, Murfreesboro, Smyrna, flagship station for MTSU sports. Courthouse clock time, nine o'clock.